Welcome. This is Beyond the Illusion. In this episode, we have a conversation with Baron Stefan. Baron is the author of a book titled The Final Gift of the Beloved, Her Disappearance, 13 Days, which Baron will describe in this conversation, and from what I've read of it so far, is absolutely enthralling. Baron is also the creator of a course called The Yoga of Mindset, which is a very well-produced set of invaluable lessons that he put online for free. I've been listening to them, and I love them. We have a very heartfelt conversation with Baron, and we really clicked with him, so let's go to that conversation now. You know, you've written this book, The Final Gift of the Beloved, and it was so moving and raw, and you just get right into this very personal story about the passing of your wife and the 13 days after it. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, what made you want to share something so personal in such a, you know, difficult trial? I didn't want to write the book, but I was asked by friends to try because they wanted to understand how I'd been able to respond to what looked like an utter tragedy in the way I had. And so I tried. And the more I wrote, the more I discovered that the love I have and had for Shauna became the fuel to try and understand how even a devastating tragedy could help me understand myself and my purpose for being alive. And then also to even have it benefit humanity. And then the unfolding of the book was just unreal. Like it wasn't planned to be 13 days. It wasn't planned to be anything, you know, those parts about Shauna and us as a couple. Um, all of those things intuitively came about in the year and a half of writing it. And I also want to say thank you for reading the book. It's not, it's definitely not every interviewer who has. And so it, it makes sharing what we're sharing here um, at a different level. What are you hoping that people will get out of the book? I want them to to have you know it's it's really open and allowing meaning that they 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 will get and they can get whatever is there for them to get which is why I put it out there on the one hand I wrote it to honor my beloved Shauna and my teachers and on the other hand aware that by sharing something so deeply meaningful to me and personal that everyone would get whatever they needed to. And it, it was never my place and isn't my place to, to tell anyone how to receive grief or how to be with grief. It is, if I've learned anything, I've learned that it's immensely personal. But ultimately, it's the story of the 13 days following the moment the officer says to me, she's deceased. And it's a moment by moment chronicle of what happened and what was so startling to me and was that it was simultaneously an experience of agony and immense beauty and almost alternating one to the other like a child is playing with a light switch. And, and to be completely honest, it was the love that had the upper hand. And so the book is, is both my attempt to translate things that are beyond words, those experiences, and also to share, just like we're sharing now. And so here we are. Yeah, even though I haven't experienced a devastating loss like you have, there's so much I could still relate with it. Just like you said, like about letting go. And I think you said something in there, like maybe that's the life lesson is letting go. And I can really, really relate to that, how powerful that is. And I, I think like, you know, right now in the time that we're in, there's so much letting go that we're needing to do right because yeah. um even though it's it's not the same thing it is there is this like huge shock of the unexpected of all the things that have been happening in 2020 affecting people in all these different ways and we're having to like let go of the way we think it's supposed to be or what mm -hmm. we want and just to be able to embrace what is and yeah. and what 
how can we grow from that? What can we learn? Sorry, that was there's no question in there. <laughs> just I'm just reflecting on you know how relatable um, your story is to kind of any challenge that somebody might be experiencing right now. Yeah, in a sense, the title of the book gives away the entire book, and is also the essence of it. And and the answer to Tayana's question of why the title of the book is not just the final gift of the beloved. The title of the book is The Final Gift of the Beloved, Her Disappearance, 13 Days, because that was the gift. This astonishing, almost repelling idea that her sudden death could be the greatest gift she had left to give me or could ever want to give me. And from that, just just everything came like, like the title of your podcast, Beyond the Illusion, to me that's the essence of why I have practiced yoga for so many years along the city yoga path and even why that book is relevant to me and perhaps even to Tayana since she said, you know, letting go is universal for so many people. Yeah, it seems to be a theme yeah, definitely in my life that's come up a lot recently is the, the theme of letting go. It's such a simple concept, you know, but in practice. <laughs> but not easy. Yeah. But in, but the in hardest. Practice. It's not just not easy. It is the hardest. I, was, I, I shared on Facebook today, you know, I, I love many teachers outside of my path. And one of them is Adyashanti. And I've spent time with him. And in, in, in today's quote that I shared, he simply shared, you know, if I can remember it, I will. But basically that. When you let go of all resistance, that's enlightenment. That's, that is enlightenment, resisting nothing. So, you know, we can say it in such a simple way, right? Letting go is so resonant for each of us. And we could each probably tell hours of stories about why that's true. And yet, even to the most profound interpretation of that question, of the name of your podcast and the name of my book, letting go is the most comprehensive and core challenge to what we all want and i'll just put a dot 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 after that because we all want something different probably (laughs) yeah i think it's really interesting that you take that i guess that perspective that it was your wife that gave you this gift Mm. of of letting go and i guess of letting go of her and of so many things i'm sure and it's not often that people take that view, I think, and because it's a difficult view to take, it's a, it's, it's a higher perspective where it's almost like uh, there was a knowing there, you know, like she yeah. came in and you came into this world with this sort of agreement that, that you would, that she would give this to you. Yeah. And, and it's uh, taboo in our society. Yeah. yeah right? The idea that your husband or your wife or your partner or your child could suddenly die and that it would be their final gift to you that it could be a gift at all like you say that at, at a party they're going to kick you out yeah as a hypnotherapist um so many of my clients have come after a loss like that 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 was a catalyst that made them turn inward and begin to seek so i've seen that a lot and yeah i even had a client um who had lost his son um, but he's he was a very deeply spiritual man, and he felt the presence of his son after his son's death, and he felt the comfort of realizing, you know, that they're always going to be connected and that that love is eternal. And yet he felt conflicted that he couldn't share that with people because it wouldn't seem appropriate that people, you know, would think that he's not properly grieving whatever that means yeah and so he confided that to me and told me that you know other people didn't know that because it was something that he didn't know how to share with others which is sad because yeah I think it could be very helpful to a lot of people who are going through that type of a loss to have that confirmation and knowing that we continue to exist and that love will always be there and has always been there I think even without the occurrence of a of a major loss like that, you know, the idea that that someone is still there, that there is something happening beyond this world is 
very comforting to people who are still alive and, you know, and, and haven't suffered a great loss. I mean, I can say me, for example, before I started really examining myself and getting into spirituality and, and all these things, I, I walked around with a great deal of fear. I was, uh, you know, a person who was not, I didn't want to think about death even because I was scared. Like I, I didn't want this existence to end. I didn't think there was anything beyond that. And, you know, the idea that there is, is extremely comforting, you know, to, and, and it, it goes a long ways. It, it affected my life in just so many different areas. You know, I just, like you were saying, I, I was able to let go of some things that I was really clinging to. And it was just, um, causing a lot of pain and, and suffering. And I think, you know, the idea that, uh, there's something else out there could probably go a long ways for our society, especially right now with everything we're going through. But I wanted to ask you, so you apparently were working on yourself and doing yoga and meditation and all these things way before this happened. So what was that journey like for you? Did it start at a young age or, you know, um, there's that chapter in the book Shaktipat towards the end, and it, and it tells of um, when I was 20 years old, and I grew up in Santa Monica Canyon, California, so I was a little surfer boy. And my mom was very spiritual, and she came to me, my two older sisters, and my grandpa one day and said, today I'm going to take you to meet a real holy man. And down the street, Baba Muktananda, an Indian master from the east, had come and set up this huge white tent right in the parking lot on the beach. And something happened to me. I got initiated that day. I didn't understand, or three days later, I didn't understand what happened. But I went down there. I was 20 years old, and they were just starting this three-day-long chant. And I thought, I had no idea what a chant was. But after they gave the intro for it, and my sisters and my mom, my grandpa said, okay, we're going to go home. I said, I want to stay, because I thought to myself, how cool would it be to try and chant for three days in a row, right? And at the end of that, something happened with Baba like something that I didn't understand and astonishing. And I, under, I understand now, as I share in the book, that that was my Shaktipat experience. And I really associate my life as starting from there. The true story of my life is what I, I like to call it. In terms of what you're referring to, that would be the start date, right? 1981, just February of 81. And I'm very clear, like if anyone looks up Shauna Stefan or Restorative Leadership Institute, my wife, they'll see that Shauna was a global leader. Like, I mean, her vitae is so long. Here's two things she did just to give you an idea. Shauna was invited by Jimmy Carter to facilitate at the Carter Center when he invited a group of the world's religious leaders to discuss why women were being constantly abused through their religious texts. Shauna worked with Tostan International, a U.S.-based company in West Africa. That was the first company, organization, to help over 8,000 villages voluntarily curtail female genital cutting. So my wife was before Shaktipat and 20 years of practices, my wife would was completely beyond me. I was just simply too immature to even be in her orbit for five minutes. So it was those practices and the grace that comes from that level of surrender, that level of letting go to what's inside us, which is what my teacher always points out, right? Honor the self, love yourself. God dwells within you as you. I would never have been ready for Shauna. And in the same way, I would never have been ready to meet that moment when the officer said she is deceased in the way I did. Like I, I vividly remember, and I describe in the book what that was like those first couple of minutes after I was sitting in my car and my mind was completely blank from the moment he said she is deceased. And I understand later why, because he had asked me, it, it was a result of what Shauna would have called the unaskable question, which is that question that if unasked, makes a part of your life weak. And I had never asked, what would I do without Shauna? So in that moment, I had no neuronal connections of what, how I would respond, what I would do. It, you know, I'd gone from impossible to the actual in the same moment. But because of all those years, Tim, of practice, I was actually familiar because that's the place of meditation. That's the, that's the seat of the self, simply being aware of my own being. And I could literally see 
all of the possibilities of what was next in each moment of all the, the abysses of immense grief, devastation, howling disillusionment. I paused and the pause, the ability to pause instead of follow them came from all those years of practice. I'm certain of it. I have to say I'm a little envious that you received Shaktipat from Swami Nuknananda. <laughs> By the time that I discovered his books, he was long off the planet. Yeah. But I did receive Shaktipat from another guru. I think I came into it thinking that it was, I had all these expectations. And so it's interesting because you kind of fell into it without knowing what you were getting into. And I came into it seeking it and thinking that I was going to like become an enlightened master, like the moment I received Shaktipat, which obviously has not happened. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then I thought, you know, I mean, and I felt something energetically and then, but it wasn't I don't know. It wasn't what I, my expectations, right? I had to like let go of all these expectations. Um, and I, so I thought, oh, nothing happened. And it wasn't till some years later when the Kundalini just, you know, something else triggered it and it really activated. And I realized that, that it had been there dormant waiting to be activated. Yeah. And the fact that you um, kind of fell into it at a young age, don't you think maybe that through other spiritual practices and other lifetimes that you, it wasn't an accident the way that it happened, that it, you had already yeah. developed yourself to that level from other lifetimes? Such yes, definitely. Pardon me for interrupting. Yes, 100%. And, and I think that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks for me and for everyone along the path, what you just said. It's another level of letting go. We come in with so many layers of concepts and ideas of what something should be or, or will be, otherwise it's not. And what I've discovered yoga to be following that moment of Shaktipat, Tayana, is simply letting go of layer after layer of concept until they're all gone. As long as I have an opinion of anything, I know that's my ego. The benefit of my path is that it's experiential. And thank God, because I was so damn intellectual as a kid, I couldn't experience anything. And having these experiences of, it allowed me to realize that Baron could never figure out anything. So God, Baron, please just stop. Just stop. Practice the teachings, really. And little by little, each teaching within Siddha Yoga, and of course, Siddha Yoga is a philosophy. It's not a religion. And there's people in from all different religions in it, and that's very important. But a, a teaching of a realized being, of a self-realized being, comes from the light that we all are. And so it never stops unfolding for us and that's my experience of the teachings like what i got exposed to 40 years ago and even 20 years ago and every year since then because i take shaktipat intensives it keeps unfolding and and expanding and making me understand it on different levels the beauty with city yoga is that they they gave me everything the moment i walked in the door with the mantra and shaktipat so i'll forever be grateful to my mom and to my path and to my wife have you read um, Robert Schwartz's books, Soul's Gift and Soul's Plan, where he talks about um, soul contracts? I was thinking about that with um, your wife and, and her passing, and we were talking about contracts before. I saw on your website, because you had some resources page, which was really nice to help other people who probably are going through something similar. And I thought, oh, those books need to be on there. If you haven't read them, I recommend them. You know, it's about this, the contracts that we make with other souls and the difficult things that we've contracted with each other to be catalysts for our growth and, and kind of like looking at things from that perspective really can help people to, like you said, to get out of this like just ego perspective. And when we expand into that soul perspective to be able to be the witness while also having to be the personality that's going through all the difficulty. But I also noticed that you had um, Michael Newton's book on there and I've been trained uh, from the Newton Institute. So I felt another connection there about how helpful um, that process can be for people to, to connect with their soul and their soul group and to see the bigger perspective of why we're here and what we've come in to learn and grow through. Yeah, I think that's so. I am thrilled that you are a Newton um, hypnotherapist, trained hypnotherapist because 
you know, the monk that I spoke to on day two from City Yoga, you know, he mentioned Dr. Newton and Lives Between Lives. And that book, specifically Destiny of Souls, of the three, that's by far for me the best one. If I, for anyone who's just lost someone, I, that's the book I would put before them first, because one, it has n- nothing to do with any particular path. It's simply a scientist interviewing people in between lives. And to me, it, it dovetailed so perfectly, and I see Tim nodding his head, yes, with um, like so many teachings of so many different saints, specifically Nisargadatta, who says, more than happiness, love wants growth. And that would be the one thing I would share with all couples, because so many, co- so many students and colleagues and people and family idealize my marriage to Shauna and our marriage together. And so that's why I put those very personal struggles we went through to share with them how hard we worked to make that work, even two people so, you know, so strong. And to know that, like, I tried to leave Shauna so many times, and this is the love of my life. Why is that? Well, because of what you said, those spiritual contracts. And that's what I love about Newton's books is that he makes it very clear. We didn't come in here to be happy or just to be happy. We're innately happy in our own beings. We came here to work on certain things that we haven't figured out yet. And so that person sitting across from you that you're about to say those things that you will never, ever be able to take back. Stop. Pause just a moment. And go to that place that that has to be with what it will be like without that person afterwards, because you may very well be about to insult and walk away from the one you had planned to come in and meet and work with. I came this close to doing that with Shauna so many times. And thank God she was as involved as she was, which I'm sure is why I stayed unmarried until 45. Because at a certain point, she knew it was my samskara, right? My hardwired negative pattern of reaction. And she would start to laugh in this totally detached way, which infuriated me, but totally saved our relationship so many times because she stopped taking that embedded pattern of mine seriously until it showed itself so many times. And I was so embarrassed and so humiliated that I would threaten her with that so many times that it washed away. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you how your life with your wife was and then, you know, how your life is now. Those are huge questions. Can you be more specific? <laughs> I'm just curious um, just what kind of life you live now, you know, the work you do and, and your, your spiritual practices and things like that. Yeah, now, so I'm still on this... I still practice, you know, my practices every day. So I wake up every day and I meditate for an hour after doing a little um, hatha yoga to loosen up my body. And then I, I always spend at least 20 minutes each day just sitting on my lanai outside, abiding in, in stillness and no thoughts, to simply familiarize myself with who I actually am instead of who my thoughts describe myself to be. And that's and that's where my practice is now is constantly. It's that, it's, um, that practice of... Um, Oh my God, I can't remember. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name, but it'll come back. I've asked myself over and over and over, non-verbally, who am I? Who am I? And instead of I am a man, I am, uh, you know, 60 years old, I am whatever, I am rich, I'm poor, just leaving it at I am. And Nisargadatta also, so many saints, ultimately, even in Siddha Yoga, right? It's, you get down to that purnoham, I am, I am perfect. And it's that simple awareness that's always there between two thoughts and so that's where my practice is now i just try to stay there and i trust that everything that that comes from there and when i'm disturbed emotionally or mentally i simply so in addition to my practice of saying delete when i have thoughts i don't choose or want (laughs) which is one of the like in lesson one of my of my lessons that i put online for free um i just i just try to identify more and more and more with this space between two thoughts that's always there. Like I'm aware that I'm talking to you on the on this video and I can see your face and I can see Tayana over there. But with no thoughts to describe it, everything is just shifting. Not to something new, but to the awareness of something that has always been there and is always there, that never changes. That's what I do every day. 
Oh, that's all. <laughs> so deep and so powerful. I, yeah, I noticed you do, you have this, the yoga of mindset, which is for adults and children. And I love that it's for children too, because that's where we have to start, right? Like if, if we could have that shift from, if we could have that awareness from that from the beginning point and not have to undo everything later on as an adult, how <laughs> lovely that would be. Yeah. Tell us more kind of about when that started and how you got into doing that. The essence of that started when I started teaching. Um, I taught elementary school, third, fourth, and fifth grade for 18 years. About 12 years ago, um, a theory came through education of growth mindset. And it's from Dr. Carol Dweck of the Stanford University. And there's a book called Mindset that came out. And so suddenly it allowed everything that I was learning in my practice to be shared within the context of a public school classroom. Because before it would have been absolutely not. You can't discuss any of this. But suddenly with mindfulness and all this stuff, there was the opening of it. And so that's ultimately what the yoga of mindset is. It's three months of lessons that I put on there for free because I've done lessons through Siddha Yoga since 1996 every day. And so you get two lessons a month and every day you listen or read them. And it's simply replacing the old tapes in our head with new ones. Ultimately, what I realized after 40 years of this and 25 years of daily practice is that simply all it everything boils down to is the most basic way that life works. And I put this in there so you don't have to remember this, but what I understand to be the most basic way that life works is that whatever thought we're thinking in each moment determines our experience in that moment until the next thought comes along. And then that thought completely fills our awareness. And we believe because of the relationship between our ego and our mind, whatever we're thinking. But the mind itself, the human mind, doesn't have the capacity to differentiate between what's true and what's made up, what's false. That's why, there can, that's why the chaos in the world, right? So there's just all these possibilities. But what the truth is, is simply to understand that our mind doesn't do that for us. And as soon as we realize that, then that's when I came up with the idea of saying delete. And that's in, in lesson one. And the second tool, I have five tools, but the first two are the most important. Delete any thought that comes up that you don't want, delete it. And two, get it in the bud while, before it's grown. Because it's so easy to delete a thought when it's just this tiny little bud, just like ripping out. This is how I used to teach it to my fourth graders, which is why I know what I wrote in those lessons works. It's so much easier to pull out, right? I have a thought of, oh, she's fat or, oh, I'm going to fail this test. Pull it out. But if you, our habit is to think these things over and over and over again, and then they start to do what we now know through Western science is hardwiring a pattern in our brain so that we actually go there first. And so that is simply, to me, the essence of what yoga is. You know, in the West, we've thought for so long that yoga is twisting bodies. But yoga for thousands of years has been only one thing, the scientific study of the human mind. And so that's what those lessons are. It's simply to give people out there, including their children, what I've had for so long, which is at least three months of lessons that are both listenable, because I recorded them, and readable, to change those stories in my mind. And what's astonishing, Tim, I don't know why I'm directing this to you, but what's astonishing to me is that I still need them. Like you'd think that I wouldn't need to or even want to reread some of those lessons, but that's not the truth. What I get is that it's it's not about the words. It tunes me into a space. And that space is fresh and new each present moment. And that's what I that's what I love. And I think Tiana, that's what came to my rescue when I heard the officer say she's deceased. Instead of my mind describing the situation with our predictable words, right, of, of how terrible it is and all those things, it didn't do that. I had already broken that habit. And instead, those teachings, right, that I had been, really, been studying for so long came in instead as my own thoughts and way of being. And it literally saved me. Yeah, that's... That's super powerful. I think, you know, the whole idea of, of delete, like you were saying, that could go really long ways, just that by itself. But what I'm curious now, what comes after that? You said there were more. 
Oh, you can just go to the website. It's all there for free. I made it for free. So I had it awesome. like costing something in the beginning because I pay for my lessons. But then I just thought, you know, who knows how much longer I'm here? So let me just, let me just, whoever wants it can have it. And if they want to ask me questions, they can ask it on the forum there. So basically, it's all the same thing, right? So we have to understand that our thoughts are powerful and creative. The fact that we think they aren't is our first and worst mistake because who knew that each human being has about 60,000 thoughts a day? Can you remember even five from yesterday or even two from a week ago? So here, here's where I go with this, and I do this in the lessons as well, which is if we are so unaware of something as those thousands and thousands and thousands of thoughts every day, how can we have any idea how they're impacting us? And here's how we know that they are, how we know that thoughts are powerful and creative. Have you ever been suddenly frightened by something you thought was one thing and then realized it wasn't? And go, oh, okay. That's the mind doing its thing. And how I used to teach this to my third, fourth, and fifth graders is through growth mindset and fixed mindset. And growth mindset is this idea by Dr. Dweck that if we, if we try and we say, not yet, I don't know something yet, we, we can actually increase our intelligence and all those things. And fixed mindset is thinks, you know, I'm stuck where I, where I am. And so because this was our culture every day in class, before tests, I would have them get out sticky notes and they'd draw a T-chart on it. And on one side, they'd put growth mindset. On the other side, they'd put FM for flex mind, fixed mindset. And I'd give them about five minutes to quietly write down the thoughts that were coming up about this big test they were about to take. So you can imagine the different variation of thoughts. And fortunately, because there was a culture of trust in our classroom, people were willing to share because we got we had gotten the fact that we're all in this together. Mr. Stefan is up against this too, guys. I, here's how I struggle with it. And by sharing these things every day, I had students sharing like, here's a perfect example. I remember one student I particularly went up to in the middle of the classroom with everyone around about to take the test. And I said, is it okay if I share with the classroom your growth mindset and fixed mindset thoughts? And he said, yes. And so, in his ear, like I was talking to him, I said loud enough for the class, his growth mindset thought, I can do this. And then his list of fixed mindset thoughts, which were, and I said this aloud to him in his ear, you're horrible. You're going to fail this test. You are worth nothing. And I looked around in the class and I looked at him and I said, what would you say to someone that came in your ear and told you that? And they all, you know, for fourth graders and fifth graders, it's obvious, get away from me, like go away. And the question then remains, why don't we do that with ourselves? Hence the birth of delete. It's simply being the gardener of our own mind. I don't want those weeds. I don't want to think those thoughts. And so I get them in the bud. And that's what those first two tools are. The third tool, the fourth tool, and fifth tool, they're very helpful. You can look at them online, but I'll just stick with those two for now. Oh, that's fantastic. And the, oh, I just want to add for all those yogis who are out there who've been doing this for 40 years like me, I use delete more than I ever have every day. If you came and watched me meditate in the morning at four in the morning or five in the morning or three in the morning, you would literally hear me say in the middle of a meditation, delete. <laughs> and all that means is that I had gotten so carried away in a stream of thought that I was like, oh man, I say it always internally, but I'm happy to say it out loud because it redirects you. I had a question and I totally forgot. Mm. I was thinking like, oh, you know, you were saying, do you remember your thought from a week ago? I was thinking, I don't remember my thought from an hour ago. <laughs> right. And that's how the ego works so fluidly. Like one of the definitions that I love of ego is simply the, the sense of, content, of continuing. Like that literally is ego, believing that we continue from one moment to the next. When in fact, we only ever exist in the present moment. Like, have you ever been out of the present moment? Can we ever get out of the present moment? This idea of past and future really are mental structures that, that like this, this world of time and space. And in the, in the context of your podcast being called Beyond the Illusion, like, we assume that this world of time and space is everything. When my guess is, it's like an iridescent drop on a leaf of what is available in the infinity of infinities out there. Oh, I love that. It's so true. We just had a guest on who, um, who had lost her son and she, from that, she really, really wanted to communicate with him and, and she ended up learning automatic writing 
and communicating with him. I was wondering if you ever felt the desire or if you, or maybe just in meditation, you already do connect with your wife in some Mm -hmm. way from the other side. You know, the, the chapter awake and livid is the third night, I think after her death, that chapter is her dictating to me for three hours. Like I, I have the pages and I put them online in the photo album of her dictating to me. And she was livid where every thought I had of, oh, she's drifted off in a way. She's in heaven. She's in bliss. She's in light. No way. She was livid about being taken from this world. And we went through that whole process. And that was my first and not only, but there was a experience of automatic writing. I've had that experience only one other time. And that was a year later. And it happened the same way that that night happened where I went to meditate and chant. And for some reason, I just couldn't settle down. And I was just like, I was just disturbed. And I went this day, a year after she had died, I'd gone down to the beach to chant the Guru Gita. And it started to rain. And so I, I walked to my friend's house and there I went to do something, but I couldn't do it. And so I sat down on the couch and something in me just said, Amore, is there something you want to tell me? And just like that other time, the third day after she died, my mind just narrowed to a tiny point. And she dictated to me for about five minutes, and I cherish those words. And in answer to your question of communicating, so here's what she said. I'll just give you the part that's relevant. She said, I don't miss you because I can be with you whenever I want or choose. It's all so much more available now. And much like Shauna being killed on that day, it took what was conceptual until then, right? Because I... From, from my training and studies and all that, I can understand, I, I could have understood that before she died. But to go through it, to experientially go through it, it takes it to a whole nother level of acceptance, I guess is the best way to say it. Like I accept it now. I feel happy and content because I know, and it, it has increased percentage-wise up to 100% over these three years. Next week is the third year anniversary of Shauna's death. I know that there's no such thing as death. I'm well aware that these physical bodies die. And that was where most of my grief came from, was realizing I would never see her radiant form again, that, that thing that was so beautiful and playful and funny. But I know, I mean, I just know that this awareness that's communicating with you right now, since it never changes, it's not going to change when the body leaves either. It will be like so many great beings. And even you, my friends have said, which is, this is just, this body is just a shell. It's like, I, it, one way to describe it is like, it's a car. I'm sitting in a car and I'm driving it around. It's, or a spacesuit. It's what I need to navigate around this world. And as soon as the spacesuit is done, it's karma is done. I'll, I'll jettison it and I'll, my prana will leave it. I'll leave it go to that life between lives. Right. Tiana. <laughs> I'm curious as to, uh, and I ask everyone this, pretty much everyone, if I remember. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are about what's happening right now with our planet and all the souls that are on it right now. Yeah. I think there's many different levels that that is being perceived as. So I I don't want to not focus on the immediate here now level of we are going, humanity is going through a great leap of evolution with racism, with conspiracy theories, with pandemic, obviously. So that's one level. And if I've learned anything from what I've been through in the last three years, it is a deep feeling of compassion and empathy with everyone around me. Like, wow, what courage it takes to even get up in the morning. And I salute every one of us for it, for having the courage to come into a body. Holy mackerel. But there are also other levels to perceive it from. And so I try to remind myself, and I also remind my friends and others on Facebook of these other ways of perceiving, because from one perspective, all of this is simply Maya or illusion. Now, I don't think illusion is a bad thing. In fact, Maya is defined as the play of consciousness, meaning that it is infused with consciousness. It is just the play of the one being, and we are that one being, the sparks of playing. 
but Maya is so convincing, right? If you cut off my arm, it's going to hurt like hell because I've identified with this body. And if you beat a black man to death in front of me, I'm going to become infuriated and rip you off of him or her because that's my dharma, my duty in this body. But above and beyond that, it is also my more sacred dharma. I came here to remember who I am and to not be fooled anymore by all these appearances because these appearances never end. What my teachers say about all of this basically is simply, has there ever been a time when such conflicts and strife and wars haven't been this intense? It has happened over and over again. This is the place where it happens. It is the realm of duality where there's love, there's hate. Where there's light, there's dark. It's supposed to be this way. From, an, from another perspective, this is all an amusement park. And we get on rides. And we get on the terrorized ride. Or we get on the happy ride, the playful ride. And as long as we're on that ride, we believe it to be true because it is. But then pull up like a drone above the amusement park. And see the amusement park is what we're all going through as a global humanity right now. And then flash back. Uh, hundred years to the pandemic of 1920 and World War I, and then flash back over history, right? It has always been like this. And so the benefit of this perspective is that it's a reminder to not get caught up into it too much. So yes, get caught up enough in it that you choose. And if you want to go serve and, and protest um, or be a woman's leader and an activist like my wife was, great, do it. But never forget this in a reality that we are all one and we're all playing this game of consciousness because it allows us to treat us with more compassion and kindness. If I had believed what was happening emotionally when I was at odds with my wife, I would have left her in a second. And that's what that whole meditation room thing is in the book, right? It was me on the verge of leaving her and why we, had, why we chose to sit back to back instead of face to face. Because if we'd sat face to face, our reactions to what the other said would have been so confronting and abhorrent that we would have split. So we had all these things that we did to keep us within this realm of, yes, let's look at what we're going through, but let's also remember the bigger picture. What is it we love about each other? Why did we choose each other? Why are we together? Because in the moment, in that heat of passion, we don't recognize that we're being pulled along by our samskaras, by our habitual negative patterns that got established when we were little children and from other past lifetimes of karma. But we chose those to work on. But when we're in the throes of those things, of me about to say, how could you dare say that to her, right? And go, go down that path. That's the samskara. And that's why it's so tricky for us. That's why ego is so tricky because we believe we are the ones having the thought. And we believe we are the ones having that emotion. Let's look at it a week later. A week later, if I had left my wife as I wanted to and as I, as I could have proved to anyone, everyone I had the right to do based on what was said and done, who would have been left with that? Would that side of me that had been so angry and said those terrible things been there for me a week later? Hell no. That side of me was long gone having gotten its gratification of like feeling that stuff and saying those terrible things. It's gone. I'm left to deal with it. In the same way, I look at everything that's happening right now. I visualize what I want from the election. I remember as, things, as people post things to breathe and to be here and also with that higher perspective because I've learned that it brings out my best. And when I'm at my best, I bring out the best in others. Do you have any more questions, Tiana? <laughs> <laughs> Because I, 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 I love that answer, and I think that would be great to, to end on that. I mean, we're pretty yeah. close to the time anyway, but mm-hmm. yeah, thank you so much for talking with us, Baron. We really appreciate it. Can you uh, give us your website one more time? Mm-hmm. So if you go to baronstefan.com, it has the book, a link to my other website that has the free lessons, the yoga of mindset. It has the all the resource library that Tiana talked about of the books and audio and lessons that got me through those 13 days and still do. So if you go to baronstephan.com, it's a way of having it all. It also has a link to Shauna's website of restorative leadership, which still functions and, and is, is upheld. So 
probably go there. All right, great. Okay. Thank you so much. It was great to have you on. So are you in are you in Washington State? I was thinking because you mentioned the fires and I was for some reason I was thinking you're in Hawaii and then I remember reading the book that you live in Washington. Yeah, I, st- I kept the cottage, which I do vacation rentals with before and I go there a couple times a year. But I live back in Kailua, Hawaii, Oahu, which oh, is where okay. I, I lived when, when I met Shauna. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 12 years. Lanikai Beach. Yeah. Lanikai <laughs> Beach. Yeah. Nice. We'll stay safe. I know that there's a lot of lockdowns and all of that on Oahu and yeah. concern about that. And But I'm glad that you're not near the fires and all of that. I do have family in Washington State, too. And there's a bunch of fires over there as well as in California. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Well, such a pleasure to be with both of you. Nice to meet you. What a, that's the, another delight of this. Like, I get to meet extraordinary and not just your average everyday interviewer because of the nature of the book and that's another gift so thank you both and thank you for what you do because i i know you know this but it it's remarkable how often i'll uh, i'll say something of gratitude like i'm about to say to you that they say oh we don't hear that often but by your putting online your podcasts and i looked over the list of the last couple podcasts you've had the words people have to listen to podcasts and as those people speak, those words are infiltrating the thoughts of those people that are listening. And so that is the process of replacing our old limited thoughts with more expanded ones. And so it is a great service that you're doing. And I want you to know that I know that about your podcast and, and you too. So thank you very much. Well, thank, thank you, you for, for saying that. Yeah. I felt that as you were saying I that. Too. I felt that along my spine. Ooh, mm. chills. <laughs> yeah, and in some sense, I needed to hear that too because, you know, it is a lot of work and it's hard to keep going sometimes. So it's nice to hear that. Yeah, yeah Tim Tim does all the the editing and I just get to show up and talk and do the fun stuff <laughs> yeah. and Tim does all the hard stuff. No, no, Yeah, well, Tim, Tim, thank you so much. Um, you know, one thing I, like one astonishing thing, astonishing thing I've come to realize over these 40 years, and especially the last 12, is that the most important breakthroughs, we're almost never aware of them. So I received Shaktipat because a Brahmin priest forgot his mantras in front of Baba. And when he forgot them, Baba leaned forward. And then from that, I burst out crying after three days of chanting. Baba whipped his head and looked right at me and didn't stop looking at me while he was giving the Brahmin priest his forgotten mantras. And I couldn't understand how the hell Baba could spot me in the back of 3,000 people and keep his gaze fixed on me for so long and keep looking back at me. But Tim, that Brahmin priest will never know that I got Shaktipat from a realized saint of the level of Baba Muktananda because he made a mistake. Life is an extraordinary mystery, and we take so much for granted. So thank you for being in that recording room. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad I kept it recording, too, because I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to include so that. <laughs> That's a beautiful story. I kind of feel like you should mm. keep that in there, Tim. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Nice, yeah. All right. Well, much love to you both. I wish you deeply well, and, and I know with great delight that, that the purpose of your life, you know, you will remember it. You will not fall asleep, and thank you for helping us all choose to be awake if we want to be, and we get that choice. Thank yes. you for sharing. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. All right. Aloha. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you very much to Baron Stefan for taking the time to talk with us and for sharing his knowledge and gifts with us. If you're interested in learning more about Baron, his book, the Yoga of Mindset course, or the Restorative Leadership Institute, please go to baronstefan.com. That's spelled B-A-R-R-O-N-S-T-E-F-F-E-N.com. I'd also like to take this time to thank Tiana Roser for all the work she does to keep this podcast going, and Casey Henson for providing the music. For more information about us or to access past episodes, please visit our website, beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. If you're enjoying listening to us, please leave a rating for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. This will help other people find us. Take care. <laughs>